Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can go and grab those and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're continuing our series, Jesus for All. And by all, it means all. And hopefully you're seeing that by now. Everybody, right? And so what we're really looking at is the good news that Jesus came for anyone and everyone. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, The Tree That Changed Everything. The Tree That Changed Everything. And so as we turn to Luke 19, we're starting verse 1. It says this. It says, he, and he being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And a couple things that are noteworthy that we saw a few weeks ago with Matthew, tax collector turned follower of Jesus. Tax collectors were known as traitors and thieves within their own community. Traitors because they were robbing their own nation by taking a cut by overtaxation. And thieves, like thieves and traitors, by way of taxation, they were resourcing the Roman oppression. So in other words, they were, by way of taxation, becoming rich. He was becoming rich on the oppression of his own nation. So most, not voted the most popular, right, in the community, not at all. Very much the outcast by the very definition of the word. But what people could not see in Zacchaeus was God was working inside of him. And that's what we're going to see. Is God was working in a way that people did not even realize. Which leads us to verse 3. It says, he was trying to see who Jesus was. But he was not able because of the crowd since... He was a short man. I just find the Bible humorous sometimes, the details it gives. Gives you hope. If you're short, you can come to Jesus too. Amen. Amen. I wouldn't know. Anyway. So running ahead, verse 4, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So a couple of cultural things just to note, just noteworthy. One, running would have been disgraceful for a man to do. Because what would have to happen is that they wore these long, flowing clothing. They'd have to hike it all the way up, showing way too much man thigh, which is never good. <laughs> Even today, too much man thigh. Been disgraceful. And on top of that, now he climbs a tree, which would have been certainly degrading. Because not only did he show up too much man thigh, but now he climbed high, and nobody wants to see all that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a wild scenario we've seen here. But we have to ask the question, what led to this vertically defeated man's desire to get a glimpse of Jesus, despite everyone seeing his actions as disgraceful and degrading? See, for Zacchaeus, Jesus was worth any embarrassment. Putting his pride aside, he humbly raised himself up into this tree just to see Jesus. So the question is, why did Zacchaeus do this? Why did he humble himself like this just to see Jesus? Well, let me give you a few things. And this is conjecture, all right? But it's based on scripture. So follow me. 
I think one reason, maybe he finally realized that his whole life had been wrapped up in selfish gain. You see, Jesus taught a lot about money and the pursuit of money. But Jesus gave this one parable in Luke 12 where Jesus says, there was a rich man who had a land that was very productive. And this rich man thought to himself, what should I do since I have nowhere to store all my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my goods there. Then I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Also known as the American dream. He didn't say that. That was me. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And these things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says this. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So maybe this chief tax collector, who was also rich, finally saw his pursuit of wealth was worthless. Or maybe he finally realized that the severity and gravity of his sins compared to the top ten list of the Ten Commandments hit him in his face. Like just a few. Something simple as do not steal. Pretty easy one. How about do not covet? Isn't that what fuels our desires for more and to do anything we can to get more and more and more? Or how about the biggie, numero uno? Spanish for number one. Yes, just catch that. Well, I do. Do not have any other gods beside me. Well, how do you do that? Jesus says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters since you will either hate one or love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Also, no, you cannot worship both God and money. And he would have been well-versed as a Jewish man in the words of Isaiah. And Isaiah, in chapter 59, says that your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden their, his face from you so he does not listen. And as Isaiah, Isaiah 64 tells us that all of us have become something like unclean, and all of our righteous acts like a polluted garment, which means the goodest of your goodness is grossness before the Lord. If you're trying to work your way into righteousness, work your way into a right standing, you cannot be good enough. You can do the most righteous act like serving in Way Kids Ministry. You know, it doesn't get much more righteous than that. <laughs> Take in volunteers. Nothing, nothing can earn your way into a relationship with the Lord. Or maybe he finally realized that Jesus was the only one that can cleanse him from his sin. It's interesting. King David, known for a man after God's own heart. I mean, really committed some of the most heinous sins that we could probably think of. He saw Bathsheba and he committed adultery with her. And then to cover up his sin, he tried a few things, but eventually killed her husband. I mean, that's pretty brutal. But then when he saw the severity of his sin, the Lord convicted him and he wrote Psalm 51 which says this. It says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in his sight. So maybe... 
Zacchaeus finally saw his sin and needing of his cleansing that from the sin he was in. He knew Jesus could do this. Or maybe Zacchaeus saw the company that Jesus kept and was encouraged to pursue Jesus. I think about this. I think about, I wonder if Zacchaeus saw Matthew and how Jesus invited Matthew, the tax collector, into this intimate relationship with him and thought, man, if you let him in, maybe he'll let me in also. Whatever the mindset, Zacchaeus was motivated not to miss this moment. And in his desperation, it drove him up this tree just to see Jesus. And I wonder this morning, are we desperate for Jesus? Are we desperate for him? See, for Zacchaeus, this tree would change everything. Verse 5 says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today, we're going to get back to that, today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. And I love this because this shows what kind of church background you have. Because when we see this account, there's probably a fairly popular kid's Bible song that comes to mind, right? A little song about this mini man who didn't want to miss Jesus, right? It says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he. Feel free to sing. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. As the Savior came that way, he looked up to the tree and said, you got to do the fingers too, Zacchaeus, right? Come, into your, come down from there because I'm coming to your house today. Come to your house today. I'm not going to sing for you. That's how it goes. Zacchaeus. It's funny. When I think about this song, it came to my attention more recently, is the tone that we unintentionally imply to Jesus' words. You ever do that? Zacchaeus, come down like I'm like yelling at my kids. I have my one-year-old that wants to climb the ladder in her playset, and she just can't because she's going to fall down, and, but she doesn't stop her. So all day long, I'm telling, Lottie, come down. <laughs> she ignores me, and we'll do that all day long. It's her game. <laughs> It's kind of weird how we unintentionally portray Jesus sometimes. Like some kind of heavy-handed, determined disciplinarian. Like God is some kind of mean kid, cruel kid, who's looking to burn up ants with his magnifying glass. Like, is that how we betray him sometimes? It's weird how we make him sound. And it's just not true. And that's, Lord, one of the point that we're getting at with this series we to remind us of God's unconditional, unfailing, unmerited, unchanging, amazing love that he has extended and is available to everyone who believes. It's a reminder of what we talked about last week. Your sin does not define you, but your response to your Savior does. We have to go there. Your sin doesn't define you, but your response to the Savior, Jesus, it absolutely does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if you have faith that Jesus died for you and you receive forgiveness through his death, burial, and resurrection, through faith alone, what he did accomplished on our behalf, because we deserved what he went through, he says he's given you new life. You're a new creation. The old things are gone. You've been made new. You have a new identity, and it's rooted in Christ Jesus. 
We gave thanks this morning as our serve team comes together every, at 9 a.m. every morning to, to pray, to prepare for worship. We ask for some thanksgiving, things that we could be thankful to stir our affections and emotions for the Lord. And one of them is thankful that we have been called a child of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus extends this relation invitation to Zacchaeus without conditions. He did not say, first, you need to repent for all those people you robbed. He didn't say that. First, you need to get your situation straightened. He didn't say that. First, you need to tell me the finer points of soteriology, eschatology, ecclesiology. How about justification and sanctification? Then we can have this relationship. He didn't say that. None of that. Despite his sin, Savior extends this invitation. And praise God that coming to Jesus does not depend on your education or spiritual maturation. It does not depend on any of that. It depends on Jesus and your response to him and him alone. It's a come-as-you-are invitation. And that's why I hope we get Jesus for all. It's a come-as-you-are invitation and let Jesus do the work that only he can work in you. See, we so many times want to get our lives straightened up. Like, Jesus can never forgive this or that. It's such a, a cop-out, an excuse. This is not true. If you could work out your own cleanliness, out of your own sinfulness, then Jesus did not have to die on the cross. But the point is, you can't, neither can I. So he died for you and me so that everyone who believes has eternal life, and that life lasts at the moment you believe and start lasts forever. This is Jesus' invitation he extends. And this invitation is similar to what we see with the disciples, right? It says, follow me. And what they do immediately, they drop their nets, left their dad. I'd have some words with my kids. I'm just letting you know, leave me in a boat by myself. <laughs> week one, we talked about it. I know you hang on every sermon series, uh, week one. <laughs> similar to the invitation that he gives you and me as well. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but life can get pretty heavy, burdened, wearisome. Where do you go to find rest? He tells Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, See, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone, again, I love these, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So here Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down the tree. I'm coming to your house. I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who opens the door, I'll come in. So what would Zacchaeus' response be to Jesus? Verse 6 says, so he quickly, I love the, he quickly came down, and welcomed him joyfully. So it shows a tone, I believe, that Jesus had. It wasn't, Zacchaeus, come down here. It wasn't that. It was an invitation. Because you can tell he came down joyfully. It's what he'd been hoping for, and much more than he'd hoped for. Joyfully rushed down that tree. And that word joyfully, I think, is pretty neat. In Matthew 2, that, use, that word's used for joy. When these wise men were making this trek to find where the Messiah would be born at, birthplace of Jesus. And when they finally saw where the star was pointing to where Jesus was, it says they were overwhelmed with joy. This overwhelming joy they had. 
I can't less miss here, is there's an unequal joy found only in Jesus. Unparalleled, unrivaled, unequal joy found only in Jesus. So for some of us this morning, this is an invitation for you to find the joy that you've been searching for in thousands of places. It's a reminder that you will never find the joy that Jesus gives, the abundance of joy, in people or possessions. It's only found in Jesus alone, and you were created for that purpose, to experience the joy that's in him. For some of us, we need to be reminded of the joy that we once found in Jesus. At once, we were love the Lord, and we, we Christian terminology, right? Christianese. We're on fire for Jesus. You guys heard that? I love new believers because they love the Lord, and they want to grow in the Lord. They want to experience more and more of Jesus, and they can't get enough of Jesus. And something along the way happens, and we start getting colder and colder and hardened. It's strange to me. What happens? We drift in a relationship with Jesus. For others, you have your joy in Jesus, but maybe you need to remind your face of your joy in Jesus. <laughs> we have joy in Jesus, and it shows. You guys, Zacchaeus rushing out of the tree, and yes, come to my house. I can, I almost in disbelief. This is why what I envision this being. Who is he, right? How can you invite me? Uh, what's incredibly important here is that we're reminded of the joy that we have in Jesus because we've been given it to only by the goodness of God's grace. I believe when we're regularly reminded of the gospel, it guards us. It guards us from drifting from our relationship with Jesus towards a religion for Jesus. And those are two completely separate things. Because if not, we can easily end up looking and sounding like the crowd in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, All who saw it, interesting, it, it being Jesus' invitation to this tax collector. All who saw it began to complain. <sighs> He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Disgusting. I added that. How could he? In this crowd, I think it's an example of people who knew a lot about Jesus but didn't know Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the churches, not our church, our church is special. Other churches have plenty of these people who know a lot about Jesus but don't know Jesus. Here's what I mean. Know a lot about Jesus. They knew he was a miracle worker. They knew he healed diseases. He was raising people from the dead. He was borrowing kids' lunchables to feed thousands. Like, this was what Jesus was doing. And so they came to Jesus, wanted to get something in hopes of gaining something from Jesus. This selfish ambition. I think this is where we've got to be careful with the gospel sometimes. I've, heard, I've been a part of children's ministries at children's camps. I've been a speaker at such events. And I've heard other people explain the gospel to kids, saying, listen, you believe in Jesus, and you don't have to burn in hell forever. Well, man, sign me up for that. Who wants to burn in hell forever? If you're coming to Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card, you're missing Jesus. A much more smaller number of people were coming to Jesus who actually knew Jesus. That means hoping to gain Jesus. Not Jesus plus, just Jesus. And I believe this is where Zacchaeus landed. Because I think Zacchaeus knew the reputation that Jesus had. Now, other people complained about Jesus. We talked about it earlier. 
in this series, that Jesus was known or had a reputation because of the company he kept for being a, a drunkard, glutton, a friend of sinners. How dare he? Because of the people he hung around with. But as he said, Jesus said in Mark 2, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. But the point is, there's no one righteous. So even this, this phrase is meant to propel us inwardly to really evaluate ourselves. There's no one righteous, no, not one. All of us are sick with sin, which we're helplessly stuck in. And it sounds like bad news, but you have to understand the gravity of our sinfulness to understand and receive how amazing God's love is. I had a conversation with a person this past week talking about God's grace and sin, and this person relayed to me how I'm not going to sin. That's what he's saying. I don't have to sin. I, don't, I, don't, I can not sin. I'm like, man, that's amazing. You can, I can't go an hour some days without sinning. I said, really? I said, so how, how about lust? I just went right there, you know, because I... Let's just, let's just get there. He goes, oh, I just choose not to think about that one. Oh, that's nice. I wish I could pick and choose scripture too. That's pretty cool. The point is we have to see our sin. The same person, bless his heart. You guys ever do that? It's <laughs> not open can just to say whatever you want. Bless his heart. No, it's a popular notion of the uh, prosperity gospel culture. And how Joel seen specifically gives a real positive message. And people really love the real positive, uplifting message. And I don't blame them because we have a lot of stuff that's just really negative in our culture. But there, in the prosperity gospel, there's an important truth that's missed. It's our sinfulness. I'm convinced you cannot know the depths of God's amazing grace and love without knowing how unworthy and sinful we are. And I know this sounds like bad news, but it really glorifies a great God. Amen. In Jesus, God's heart was made visible. In Jesus, his amazing love was proven. Romans 5.8, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What we have to see is Jesus' love was not sacrificial only in his death, but also in his life. The love Jesus lived with was unlike any other love that these people in this culture have ever experienced. And it changed the culture. It changed people. And so it begs me to ask the question to us, to think through how is this church, our church family, the way church, going to change the culture that we're in, the community that God's placed us, how are we, how are we going to change it? I believe it starts with living and loving like Jesus lived and loved. Because that is revolutionary. That is countercultural. That is something that people are searching for and want to be a part of. I know I do. I want to be around a people that live and love like Jesus lived and loved. Does it mean you're perfect? No. Does it mean you're pursuing Jesus? Yeah. And Jesus gave that command that to love one another. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Isn't that interesting? How do people know you're following Jesus? The way we love one another. So how do we live and love like Jesus? I think it starts with asking the Lord to help us see people the way he sees people. I mean, can we be honest enough to say that prayer? Like, I'm struggling with loving people the way you do because people are people. 
People are hard. Drive down Broad Street. People are tricky. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, the first one is what? Love. Then joy. So if the fruit of the Spirit is love, don't you think God will create a love in you for others? I mean, that is the second command, right? The greatest command is love God, love others. Man, that'd make a good mission statement. Write that down. <laughs> and this Christ-like love is exactly what the crowd had missed as they complained about Zacchaeus. And think about this. I think this is why the gospel is so offensive. The gospel, I mean, we're all creating God's image for the purpose of being in relationship with him, but we all have this sin issue, and we can't do anything about it, and it has separated us from God. But God loved, so loved the world so much that he did something about it. Coming down in Jesus, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we were supposed to die, taking our place. And so whoever believes in him, that somehow his blood on the cross counted for you to receive forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future, you have and will receive eternal life that lasts forever. I believe this is offensive because it sounds, I mean, to me it sounds awesome, but it's offensive to many. I think it's offensive to the self-righteous. Because it's unbelievable how God can forgive significant sins through a faith of a sinner. When you're trying to earn your salvation, work your righteousness out. I think that's offensive. How could God do that? I think it's offensive to the self-absorbed. I mean, just being labeled a sinner is a shot to the self-inflated ego. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we live in a culture that really does, I mean, don't. You've been labeled everything from, you know, you can do it. You can be everything you want to be. You're cotton candy and, you know, unicorns and <laughs> precious. And not, God bless you. But some, we just need to be wrong, like my, my son yesterday, my five-year-old. So many of you know this. Some may not. Some just don't care. Wish I'd get on with this. But I'm going to tell you anyway because I got the microphone. <laughs> I take up a new hobby with my boys, BMX racing, right? And so we had a big race yesterday and, I didn't win, okay? Shocker. I didn't win. And so my wife was telling, trying to explain this to my five-year-old. And uh, so I got in second place just for, let me, second place. Yeah, I, second place. First loser. I got in second place. And so my son says, uh, so dad is a loser? And so Rachel graciously trying to explain it to her. But, I mean, let's be real. I am, right? I didn't win. So I'm a loser. Let's be real. I don't know. Maybe that's just my family. <laughs> but sometimes we just need to see things as reality. So the gospel can be offensive. But for those who humbly have seen their sin and sought the Savior for salvation, the gospel isn't offensive but transformative. It is good news. It is refreshing. It is encouraging. This is the response that we see in Zacchaeus. And hearing the cries of the crowd, the whispers are complaining, he then turns to Christ. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to, to the poor, Lord. And if I've exhorted, extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And this is important. Life change happens when you surrender to Jesus as Lord. And what we see here is a heart of repentance. In seeing his sins, Zacchaeus both surrenders his sin to the Savior and also desires to right his wrongs. Having a new Lord, what we see here, 
leads to embracing a new lifestyle with new longings while we hold loosely all of our belongings. That's what we see here. That's what we see in the early church. Jesus changes everything. You can't experience Jesus and leave the same way you encountered him. You're a new creation. And so long, we, we want to reach back into our past and bring that junk with us. You are a new creation if you're in Christ Jesus by faith. This is what we experience in baptism. Water baptism is an outward expression of what God already done by the Spirit baptism in you, making you new. But it shows that that old person is no longer alive, dead, going down to the water, coming up, new life in Christ. I'm no longer that person I used to be because of God's grace. That's what faith is. is Jesus is either Lord overall or not Lord at all. And so many times I think we try to compartmentalize our life. Is Jesus Lord of everything in your life? Is he have access to every aspect of your life? Have you surrendered everything to him? Your finances, your friends, your family. Have you surrendered and said, this is all yours, Lord. Me, do with me what you want because I trust you because you're a good father. And so what we have to see here. God is completely trustworthy. I think that's what we fight for control. And we have to get to the point to where we understand that our control is worthless. I've been praying that this whole COVID season that we've endured through exposed how lack of control we are in our life and how much we have a need for a God who is in control of all things and we can trust him. What we see here with this rich man is also riches are not a barrier to God bringing someone to repentance. It can be. It can be. I'm speaking from a community that we live in that's very rich, very affluent. It can be. There's a lot of barriers here. It can be. We see in Luke 18 when this rich man comes to Jesus and really wants to follow Jesus. And he goes off this list on how awesome he's been, right? I go to church every Sunday, you know. I serve in the worship band. I read yourself you didn't say any of that but he says i kept this law and this law i've done this thing i've done this thing and jesus says essentially that's great but listen you lack one thing he says sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me and what was the rich man's response he went away extremely sad because he was very rich so our wealth can be a barrier. Our comfort can be a barrier. Because following Jesus can be uncomfortable because it's change. But when you trust him, it's a joy, not a burden. Because you trust who he is. It's interesting in Luke 18 and seeing this rich man's response and how he was sad. Jesus said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It says, those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? Which Jesus replied with, what is impossible with man is possible for God. In Luke 19, speaking of God doing the impossible, meet Zacchaeus, Right? Speaking of God doing the impossible, meet Josh Weatherspoon. Speaking of God doing the impossible, meet, you say the name, that has put their faith in Jesus. It's an amazing work of God for anyone who's come to Jesus and confessing him, him as Lord and King over their life. It's a movement of God. And God's grace is given to everyone who receives it, the response that's generated of repentance and faith. It's both and. 
That faith that you have that God generates inside you brings repentance because you see the gravity of your sin and your need for your Savior. Even to least likely, again, Zacchaeus. And in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, Today, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and save the lost. And this is good news. In other words, Jesus came to seek and save sinners. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. To which I would argue, I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul was saved at this point. He absolutely was. But he saw the struggle with the sin, the war raging from within that he clarifies in Romans chapter 7. But the point is even our worst does not, cannot, and will not diminish Jesus' best. And this is good news. In that same conversation I was having with this individual this past week, he was saying, well, it just gives you a license to sin. Absolutely not. If you see Jesus' grace as a license to sin, you've missed Jesus' grace. You don't know it at all. Because it's actually so contrary. Because God's grace in my life and his amazing love, I desire not to sin, and I hate the sin I'm in when he reveals it to me. Which brings us back to Zacchaeus. As Zacchaeus would have his life changed in this tree, everyone who believes will also experience life change through Jesus who put himself on a tree. Jesus in John chapter 3 was having this conversation with Nicodemus, this religious leader. And he makes an interesting comparison. First he tells him, you need to be born again. So that, you know, Zacchaeus, I got to go back to my mother's womb. He's like, no, no, please no, right? John 3, read yourself. But he references an account, an event in the life of the Israelites in Numbers chapter 21. Where these Israelites were in sin, and so they had a plague thrown on them, a plague of snakes, venomous snakes that were going through and they were killing people. But God told Moses to build this staff and raise it up. And everyone who would look to, look to this staff in faith that if they looked to the staff, they would be saved from the plague that they were in, would be saved. And God was faithful to do that. Everyone who looked to the staff that Moses raised up wasn't special about the staff. It was by faith that God would do this, what he said he would, through this staff, if they would believe and do it. And they were saved. And so knowing this, Jesus says in John 3, just as Moses lifted up the snake on the staff in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If you're tracking there, it was so nice, Jesus said it twice. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He said it twice. Because maybe Nicodemus is more like me, a little slow on the pickup sometimes, I need to hear it a couple times. Or maybe a little bit more like you and me, 
that we have doubts. And we wonder, was I, you know, did, did something change? And sometimes we doubt even our own salvation. Like the moment we came to faith, did I really know enough to believe? Have, have I done enough? Was my sin too much? He says, believe and you'll have eternal life. Believe and you'll have eternal life. What are we believing in? We're believing at the Jesus who was lifted up on the cross, took our place, saving us from the wrath of God that we deserved because he's a just God. He'd be unjust if he didn't punish sin. So our sin was punished in Jesus. So by faith that Jesus took our place for us, and through him we have forgiveness, God passes over our sin. You know, he says, today salvation has come. Today. And that's today for us. I mean, this today is a response to what God is doing and can do and will do through faith. Today, if you have not come to faith in Jesus as Lord, I'm not talking about what you know. I'm talking about your heart. You finally see, I, I love him. I can't explain why, but I know I have this sin problem, and I cannot believe that he proved his love for us, and now oh, I'm a sinner, and maybe the worst of them, he still died for me, and his blood on the cross counted for me so that I can have life with him, and not only life with him one day, but life with him right now. And Jesus calls it the abundant life of knowing and experiencing Jesus daily. I can have that right now through faith. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. Today, that can be yours if you don't know Jesus like that. How about those who are weary and burdened? Today, you can have refreshing in Jesus. How about those who are feeling hopeless? Today, I pray that you receive the hope that only Jesus gives. The joyless, I pray that today you receive the joy that only Jesus gives. How about identity crisis? I pray today you finally see your true identity is rooted in Jesus and not anything you do or who people say that you are. Listen, as we do every week, I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing today, right now. And so I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to, they're going to lead us into another worship song. I'm going to invite you to respond in how the Lord's leading you, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to pray for us. But I want to leave some room for you to pray. I don't know what God's doing in your life today, but today is the moment that you need to respond to what he's speaking to you. And like Zacchaeus, I pray that there's no barriers that get in your way. As Zacchaeus saw this crowd, being the short man he was, he wasn't going to let that be a barrier to seeing Jesus. So he climbs up the tree so he can see Jesus more clearly. I'm praying that we see Jesus even more clearly this morning. Because there's hope, life, love that's found only in Jesus that you were meant to experience. So I pray that that reality just impacts you in a new and fresh way. I don't care how old you are. Jesus is a joy that you and I need. And he's ready to give life to all who would receive it. And so listen, if you have known all these facts about Jesus, but now have come to faith in Jesus, 
Your prayer is simple, and there's no magic prayer. You just come to Jesus in this prayer time that we're going to have. And say, Jesus, I don't fully understand it, maybe. But I know that I know that you died for my sins so I can live with you. Forgive me. Forgive me. Because I know that you have forgiven me. That's in your own words. You just pour out your heart to Jesus. This is the amazing thing as we gather to worship, that God does amazing things. But I'm going to ask you to respond to what he's doing in you specifically. So I'm going to pray for us, and after we pray, the band's going to sing another worship song, but I'm going to encourage you to continue to move and respond to what God's doing. That may be singing and standing and glorifying God because he's worthy, and that's the response that he's generating inside you. Maybe it's you continue to pray and just deal with some things that God's dealing with you in. Maybe you need to pray with someone or want to pray with someone. Maybe beside you we'll have a prayer team. We would love to pray with you, pray for you, help you to guide you along next steps of following Jesus. You're not in this relationship journey with Jesus alone. You weren't meant to be. You respond to what God's doing. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. It's by no accident or coincidence that you've brought us here, Father. So Lord, I ask that you remove any barriers or stumbling blocks for us to see you more clearly. Lord, remind us and show us how amazing your love is, your grace is, that you've given us something that we did not deserve. That is life in you. Father, right now, I just ask that you move in this place. Move us as we respond to what you're doing. Give us sensitivity to follow your leading. I pray you restore the hope that's been lost. Restore the joy that's been stolen. The burdens that are carried in here. People are feeling tired and weary. Father, I pray you bring refreshing today, in this moment. I pray for the faithless, that you bring faith today. Father, I pray you just do amazing work right now in our lives. Remind us of how good you are and how present you are. Let's just be reminded that you're here in this place, and let's leave this place experiencing you in a new way And just proclaiming that surely the Lord was in this place. Lord, we thank you. Move in our hearts. Move in our minds. Give us strength, refreshing by your word and by your spirit. Father, we thank you. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.